Thank you, band, for leading us this morning. Everybody, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. We'll start in chapter 8 today. Proverbs chapter 8. You may be wondering, what are we going to talk about today from the book of Proverbs? Today we are going to talk about the issue of wealth and money. And I know everybody in the sanctuary and online watching just went, oh, goodness gracious. Well, let me just, let me just be clear. This is not a bonk you over the head type of sermon because you don't give enough money or anything else like that. Rather, what we're going to do is we're just going to see what the book of Proverbs has to say to us today regarding wealth and the wisdom of Scripture regarding wealth. Indeed, it is a blessing, and indeed it does bring great strength to us in our lives in various ways. But it can also be an idol, and it can also therefore be a false god and give a false hope. And so we're going to just see what the book of Proverbs has to say here today regarding God's wisdom for wealth. The sermon is available online, the notes here, so that you can have all the scriptures that I'm going to quote from here today, because as always, we're going to go through a wide variety of different passages in the book of Proverbs. But start with me today, if you will. Chapter 8, I'll read verse number 12, skip ahead to verse number 18, and read through verse number 21. So let's read together this morning. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out, find out knowledge and discretion, down to verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold. My revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of the righteous in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we pray, God, as always, you would give us your wisdom once again regarding money and wealth. Each of us have some of it in lots of varying degrees. But God, with whatever it is that you have entrusted to us, give us wisdom to direct it rightly, to invest it in your economy, not the economy of this world. And that, God, in so doing, that you would bring fruit from it in our lives that matters for all of eternity. God, help us not to make money an idol, something that we seek after, trust in, depend on more than you. God, give us great wisdom and a heart that's proper and pleasing to you, a heart that seeks righteousness above everything else first. May you and you alone be our God. We love you and we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you this question this morning as we jump in. Is money an idol in your life? Is money an idol in your life? Now, I know you might be inclined to say, well, what does that mean exactly? Or you might just immediately say, no, it's not really an idol in my life. But let's just dig down to the nitty gritty for just a moment about what that would mean. Surely it's not an idol in the sense that you carve a little statue and offer fruit and offerings to it and stuff like that, like the idols of old in the Old Testament. But idols take many shapes and different sizes. Consider Mark chapter 10 for just a moment. In Mark chapter 10, the young rich ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reads him like a book and knows him intimately and perfectly in that very moment. And so he begins to a process of discussion and dialogue with him that will flesh out for the young rich ruler exactly what his problem is. He looks at the young rich ruler and he says, Well, you know the commandments. Go and keep them. And the young rich ruler says, well, I've done all those things. You know, honor your father and your mother and keep the Sabbath and not stealing and killing and all of those types of things. Look, I've already 
kept the law. And Jesus looked at the young rich ruler and he said this to him. It's a, it's a passage that stumps us. He looks at him and he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and all of your profit, get rid of it all and give it to the poor and then come and follow after me. Jesus says this and it triggers in us as we read this passage and try to interpret it and make sense of it. Discussions like this is what we we end up having. Well, does that mean that we're not supposed to have any money? Does that mean that we're not supposed to have any earthly possessions? What exactly is Jesus intending for us to take away in this moment? Well, I'd say this to you. If Jesus intended us to take away from that, that you and I are not supposed to have any money or any wealth or any of those things like that, I'm pretty sure he would have said that same type of thing to every single person that he talked to, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus had that uncanny ability as someone that can read the hearts and the minds of all people. He had the ability to look at someone, read them like a book, and put his finger on exactly what their problem was. For the young rich ruler, the problem, the thing that really kept him from following Jesus and being faithful to Jesus was not in any one of the commands that he was already obeying. There was something else. It was the love of money. You see, at the end of the day, the young rich ruler, he had a different God. It was the God of money. That's what he longed for. That's what he lusted after. That's what he depended on more than anything. And essentially, what Jesus is saying to the young rich ruler on that day is, get rid of your God. Is money an idol for us? If you trust in that more than anything, then it's an idol. If you obsess over it more than anything else, it's an idol. If you love it and seek it above everything else, it's an idol. If it prevents you from being obedient to Christ, it's an idol. It's one of the most common idols in our lives today. And so I start off today by asking you that question, is money an idol in your life? Another big way of getting at this topic today as we jump into Proverbs here is, well, how should we think about money in our lives? And so let's jump in and consider what Proverbs has to say. I'm going to make three broad categorical statements today just to kind of hang everything we're going to talk about in. First of all, Proverbs speaks about the gift of wealth. Second of all, Proverbs speaks about the insufficiency and trouble of wealth. And then thirdly and finally, Proverbs gives us some instruction regarding our wealth and our money. So number one, Proverbs speaks about the gift of wealth. I take up a topic like wealth and money in a sermon series and surely everyone in here cringes just a little bit with the fear that, uh uh-oh, we're going to talk about how we don't give enough or something like that. Now look, I'll just say this, that's not predominantly what this sermon's about today. There's some implications that we'll talk about at the very end, but that is not the predominant theme of what we're going to find here today. Actually, the first thing I want to talk about from the book of Proverbs is that, yes, money actually is a good thing. And money actually is a gift, and it is something that we should be thankful for, and it is something that we should should be good stewards of, because God does give it to us as a blessing. Proverbs starts off by talking about the gift and the good that money is for us. Well, how so? What exactly does Proverbs show us? Well, the first thing under this big heading of Proverbs speaking about the gift of wealth that I want you to see is this, that God gives wealth to the wise and to the righteous. In several places throughout the book of Proverbs, that is to say, God says it this way, or something to this effect, that He blesses the righteous or bestows upon the righteous 
great wealth. In the passage that we just looked at, chapter 8, verse number 12, then verse number 18 through 21, read again and listen to what it says. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. Now, wisdom speaking here, riches and honor are with me. So in other words, what, you, what the proverb wants you to see here is that these two tend to go together. Wisdom and riches and honor. These two tend to traffic together, if you will. Wisdom speaking again, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. Now, I love the way that's described there. It's not just a one-time shot in, the, shot in the dark type of riches that you prosper for a season. No, what Proverbs talks about here is a richness that endures, that lasts a lifetime. And once again, notice that riches and righteousness are running together going hand in glove. I traverse the way of the righteous in the midst of the paths of justice. Now, again, there you see righteousness and justice doing the right thing. Verse 21, watch this. So that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. What do we need to see here? Is that wealth is often associated with wisdom. Those who possess wisdom, God is saying, I bring wealth to them. Now, this is a generalization, okay? This is not a universal categorical promise. I point that out because I have known a lot of people throughout my life that were godly, righteous people that didn't have two nickels to rub together, right? We can find people throughout the world and third world countries in particular that don't have that wealth and don't have those resources, but they do have a love for God. What Proverbs gives us here is a generalization that God bestows these things on those who are righteous and wise. The second thing I want you to see with under this first main part of the sermon today is that God gives wealth as a reward for diligence. Simply put, God gives that wealth to people that work really hard and that are diligent. And by contrast, He withholds it from those who are lazy. Now listen to the wisdom of Scripture here. In some cases, you have not because you work not. It's not because you ask not or want not. It's just you don't work. Listen to what it says here. Proverbs 10 verse 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. That is to say, if you're lazy, you don't get any profit. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10 4. Proverbs 6, verse number 10 through 11, listen to this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Meaning you'll just be overwhelmed with poverty and need if, in fact, you're lazy. Proverbs 14, 23, listen to this. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Hmm. Proverbs 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Now we see this theme repeated again in the New Testament. In fact, Paul warns us just straightforwardly, people that don't work don't eat. People that do work, they rejoice in the plenty. First, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, he's speaking to them specifically about how when he came to them, he worked 
tirelessly not to be presumptuous upon them, not to presume upon their hospitality in such a way that he was a burden to them, but that he worked for them. And he kind of sets that up as a principle. Listen to this. Again, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 through 10. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat everyone's bread free of charge. But we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then he says this, verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now the point here is, to say that we, is not to say that we shouldn't care for those who are poor or anything else like that. But the point is to say that throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, the principle or the virtue of discipline and diligence is valued by God and rewarded by God. And so, one of the things that the Proverbs are showing us is that God rewards those who are diligent with wealth. One other thing here under this big heading of God's blessing of wealth in our lives. God gives wealth as a provision of strength. Simply put, it's what's obvious to us. Sometimes there are some, there are some circumstances in life where it's just really nice to have some financial means as a way of protecting or providing for yourself or the people around you. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and the destruction of the poor is their poverty. In other words, for the wise man, his strength is in his wealth because he has an easier time, a more efficient time, maneuvering circumstances and making provision for his people. And yet, by contrast, destruction comes upon the poor because they don't have the means to do what they have to do. Proverbs 14, verse 20, The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Here, what's interesting is the Proverbs seem to speak about the way people are esteemed within culture and society based off of wealth. Wealthy people are esteemed by many, and poor people are shunned by many. Not saying that that's right, the Proverbs are just speaking about the way it works in the world. That's all it's doing. It's not endorsing that idea. It's just saying that's how it happens. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city like a high wall of his own esteem. Meaning, once again, that wealth is a provision for the strong. So what am I trying to say so far from the book of Proverbs? I'm trying to say, listen, it's not all bad when we turn to money. Now, it's about, we're about to talk about the way it can become an idol for us the way it can be misused, the way our hearts can be completely wrong in it. But Proverbs' picture of money and wealth is not all bad. There, there are absolutely aspects of wealth that are tremendously good for the people of God and for people in general, and Proverbs takes note of those ways. Now, second big part of the message today, or category of Proverbs that we want to consider here, the way the Proverbs speak about the insufficiency of wealth or the trouble of money. It's not all good either. Listen, one of the things that in our life is meant to be for our blessing and for our strength, that old devil knows how to twist everything, doesn't he? He knows how to take every good thing in creation and twist it and corrupt it in such a way that it becomes our God itself. That it becomes the thing that our lives revolve around. And Proverbs wants to give us a very clear picture of the danger of that. And so let's jump in and see. Proverbs show us here, again, the insufficiency of wealth and the trouble of money by 
showing us, first of all, that righteousness is preferred to great wealth. In other words, you can have one or the other, one of them's better. In the economy of our world, the way, that is to say, the way our world operates and values certain things. I could pull a $20 bill out of my pocket. Well, I can't because I actually don't carry cash ever. But imagine that I could. I take a $20 bill out of my wallet and I just drop it on the floor and walk by. I bet you there are going to be a few people interested in that object. They'll walk by it. They'll pick it up. If they're godly, they might say, somebody dropped some money, but hey, there's going to be lots of people. Let's assume I'm outside the church when I do this. There's lots and lots of people that they're going to pocket that money without any hesitation whatsoever. Why? Isn't it silly? It's literally just a little piece of paper. In fact, it's a very dirty, disgusting little piece of paper. I mean, there's all sorts of little disgusting microbes all over that thing in a season of COVID-19 that we should... I mean, that object, when we think about it that way, actually has a big ooh factor to it. And yet, we'll pick it up, we'll throw it in our pocket, we'll, we'll, we'll do things with it. I mean, why? Because we value that little piece of paper. In our world, this is called economics. We have things that we value and we have things that we devalue. And money is something incredibly valuable to us, Right? And therefore, we live our lives in ways that we seek it, and we seek it, and we seek it, and we're greedy for it, and we grab for it, and we maneuver for it. We do everything we can to get as much of it as we can into our pocket out of other people's pockets, right? This is the world's economy. But in God's economy, listen to me, in God's economy, He values something different. In God's economy, He values something different. And you... That might sound like a really preacher point to make this morning, and it is, okay? Of course, God's going to value things like righteousness and humility and those types of things. He's going to value that more than money, right? You'd expect a preacher to say that. Let me tell you why you ought to care. Let me, let me answer the so what factor. So what, preacher? You say that God values these other things more. So what? Why does that matter to me? Here's why it matters to me. Because God's kingdom lasts forever, and your life is just yet a few decades. I mean, life here is like a little vapor, and then it's gone. And then one day, the great equalizer comes for all of us. We stand before God, and we shall forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know about y'all, but we should start caring an awful lot about God's economy and valuing what He values more than other things. So listen to what Proverbs say. Righteousness is preferred to great wealth within God's economy. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 4. Listen to this. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Wow, you hear that? In the day when God's judgment is unfurled on this world, those little dollar bills don't really matter in that day, do they? But righteousness matters an awful lot. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 7. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. I've known lots of wealthy people in life that were miserable. Now, to be fair and to be clear, I've also known lots of poor people that were miserable too. I'm not saying one's a guaranteed path to this or that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that, look, we chase that little rabbit for a reason. We seek after wealth and we pursue wealth for a reason. Because there's something inside of us that's hungry and thirsty, that's seeking and longs for satisfaction. And we're gullible enough in those moments to think that money is going to do it. 
that this will be the thing that satisfies the soul. And yet, the fact of the matter of it is there's no guarantee in that at all. You can accumulate tremendous amounts of wealth and still find yourself empty, broken, and in need. Jesus talked about it this way, Mark chapter 8, verse number 36. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul? What is Proverbs saying to us here? He's saying very simply that, listen, there are some people that seek wealth and they get a bunch of it, but they're, they're miserable. They have nothing. And yet there's some people that are poor and yet they have everything. Proverbs 11, verse number 28, listen to this. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. I mean, what are we really after here? What is the, what is the end that we're seeking, right? There's a difference between means and ends, right? Ends are things we seek for their own sake, according to Aristotle. Means are pathways or pursuits that we take to get to those things. See, the, the thing is, is that we often think that money is the end. That if you have it, it will satisfy. But no, that is simply a means to some other end, to securing what you need or something like that. But even those things aren't the ends that we should properly be seeking because those things can't satisfy. What can satisfy? The one who made us for himself. We are made for him and therefore we will only be satisfied when we find our place in him. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Proverbs 28, verse 6, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Again, the idea here is you could have everything from the world's, in the world's economy and still be empty. And yet you could have nothing in the world's economy and be wealthy. Why? Because in God's economy, this physical stuff over here is not what actually satisfies. But communion with the holy God that made you will. Proverbs 27, verse number 23 through 24. Listen to this. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Now listen to what he says here. Know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Meaning that what you have accumulated here on this side doesn't get to go with you forever. Jesus talked about this, didn't he? Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 through verse number 21. Listen to this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then finally, a famous proverb that you've heard many times. Proverbs 22, verse number 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. Wow. Again, what the Proverbs help us to do is to help us realize that in, without us knowing it, we, we go through life never really seeing this until the Proverbs point it out. So let me just be real clear. Let me put this up in your minds and see it, folks. That there are always in our lives two economies that are competing for our attention and loyalty. The economy of this world that says get as much as you can at any cost. It does not matter if you're devout. And then the economy of God that says I treasure humility and righteousness more than anything else. 
And this is what we live for. And look, this is not to say one can't have wealth. But it is to say, understand the greater economy. The greater economy is God's economy. Make sure you're investing in that one. Now, the Proverbs go on. Proverbs show us not just that righteousness is preferable to wealth. The, the Proverbs also go on now to speak about the danger of idolatry of the idolatry of money. Greed and selfishness can bring destruction upon us, the Proverbs are going to show us. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 27, listen to this. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. I've said this to you before. Let me pause as I read that verse. I've said this to you before. We're all like ships in the water passing through creating wakes. And people come behind us and swim in those wakes. Our children and our grandchildren, the people that we lead. That is to say the work of your hands and the things that you're doing have an effect on other people. Sometimes a destructive effect on other people. Well now, in light of that, listen to what the Proverbs is saying. The Proverbs is saying that greed has a, a negative effect on your household. Listen to this. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Proverbs 28, verse 22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. What is the proverb showing us here? Showing us very simply that greed and evil pursuits of money actually bring harm on ourselves and other people around us. Proverbs 13, verse number 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. Wow, listen to this one. Here's what he's saying. God honors the righteous man. God honors the righteous woman. How so? Well, because of their righteousness, because of their honor to God, God honors them by allowing their wealth to pass down from generation to generation. In other words, God allows the wealth to do the very thing that the wealthy intended it to do, to pass it down to the people that they love. But for those who are evil, for the sinner, God redirects their wealth into someone else's hands, is what Proverbs is telling us here. Proverbs 28, verse number 8. One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. This proverb is teaching the exact same thing that God will ultimately redirect and take from the hand of the unrighteous to give to the righteous. All right. What is Proverbs telling us about money and wealth? Well, number one, there are really wonderful good things about it. God gives it to us as a reward for righteousness. He gives it to us as a reward for diligence. God gives it to us to give us strength in life in various ways. There are beautiful, wonderful things about wealth. It can also be a big distraction by making us get confused and somehow thinking that this economy, the economy of the world, is the one that we should value the most, when all along it's the economy of God, of righteousness and holiness that we should pursue above everything else. That is to say, don't let it be an idol. It can also be something that brings destruction on our lives when we make it our God. Isn't it interesting? This is what God wants you to see here this morning. You make money your God. You make it an idol because we naively think that it will satisfy us. It will sustain us. And what Proverbs is showing us is that, first of all, not only no will it not do that, 
but it'll actually be counterproductive because it will bring harm and destruction on our lives. This is what Proverbs wants us to see. So I end with this, last big part of the sermon here today, and we'll be very brief. The Proverbs now give us an instruction for money. So here's the question, out of everything. All right, so what do I need to do? What do I need to do with it? Well, God gives us this instruction. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9 to verse number 10. Listen to this. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Just let that sink in for a second. Hear those words. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Money, land, real estate, your possessions. Honor the Lord with that. I think that entails two things that I'd want to pause and just point out. Number one, to honor the Lord with your possessions means that you're not involved in pursuits of those possessions which are themselves inherently evil. Look, we're, we're crafty. We're talented people. We can figure out all sorts of ways to make money. And some of those ways are not good in honoring to the Lord. Part of what it means to honor the Lord with your possessions is this, that you go about getting them the right way in ways that honor the Lord. Here's a second way that this means. It means allowing God to use those resources for His purposes. Here's a question for you. Is that stuff His or yours? Is it His or yours? I remember a few years ago I was at a Christmas parade in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and there was all these different trucks coming by, and there was one uh, ministry that came by, and I remember it, evidently this ministry had something to do with like giving and financial planning within the kingdom of God and things like this, and all over the side of the truck, it quoted from the book of Malachi where it says that the tithe belongs to the Lord, and the big thing on the side of the truck, which is just, oh my gosh, 10% belongs to God. <laughs> and the words of Abraham Kuyper a Dutch Reformed theologian decades ago made a huge deal out of saying that every square inch of the universe belongs to God. There's not a square inch over the universe that God does not stand over and say, Mine. It's all His. I thought, how fool, and I get the sentiment of what they were trying to say on the side of the pickup truck. It was really tacky, by the way. But I get what they were trying to say. And you know what? I applaud you for trying to be faithful tithers. But understand this. If you think, which this dude did by the way he described it, that only 10% belongs to God, then I assume he thinks and sometimes we think that 90% belongs to me. No. No. I ask you the question, is it yours or his? Let me, let me answer it. None of it's yours. None. It all belongs to him. So what that means, then, then here's the question. Well, then why is it in my account? If it belongs to him, why is it in my account? Because he entrusted it to you. That's it. Use it the right way. How, how? How do we do that? That's not my business. That's between you and the Spirit of God and the Lord to direct that. But where we need to all start 
is on our knees before God with a posture of, it's all yours, Lord. I'm here simply to steward it. Now, go back through those passages in the New Testament where Jesus repeatedly talked about stewardship. And let us learn those lessons there. So the proverb says this, Proverbs 3, verse 9 through 10. I only got one phrase in. Honor the Lord with your possessions. That's the instruction that God gives us. It's super simple, right? I mean, we don't have to have sermon after sermon after sermon. It it really is, y'all, that simple. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Don't go about getting your possessions in ways that are contrary to the ways of God. And number two, once you have them, remember you're a steward of it. You don't own it. And now listen to what it says. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. In other words, give God the best. And then here he says this, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and that your vats would overflow with new wine. Look, we're not prosperity preachers. As a denomination, Southern Baptists are anything other than prosperity gospel people, right? However, Old and New Testament, very consistently, the principle is put before us again and again and again. You can't outgive God. You give, you honor Him, and He fills up your barns. You give and you honor Him, your vats are overflowing with new wine. That is to say, with good things. So, honor the Lord with your possessions. And in doing that, we will be expressing to God. Not only will we be, A, be doing the right thing as stewards, but when we honor the Lord with our possessions, there's something bigger, more beautiful for us to see and embrace and live by. By honoring God with our possessions, you're not just doing the right thing, and you are doing the right thing, but you're not just doing the right thing. You are expressing to God His value and His worth. You are saying to Him, I love you more than this. I need you more than this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is to say what Jesus is saying there in Matthew Matthew 3 when He's tempted in the desert. He's saying I need this. I need you. I need communion with you. I need to please you more than I need anything else. Father, bless us and help us to be that way. Help us to be wise. Thank you for the resources you have given us. Indeed, they strengthen us. And indeed, even just looking around the faces in this room, I see righteous people, good people, that love you and you have blessed them. I see people that have been diligent, hardworking, and indeed, you have blessed them. So God, thank you for the good things that you've brought into our lives via wealth and money. God, it will be tempting for every last one of us to make our wealth our God. To love it, to depend on it, to to trust in it more than anything else, including you. God, keep our hearts from that, we pray. May we live our lives with your economy always in the view. And may we be faithful. We love you, we bless you, and we ask you to be with us this day in Jesus' name. Amen.